Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Inflation nation, with global supply chains stuck and the war in Ukraine raging on, the ESRI says the cost of living is going to soar, with prices not seen since the dark days of the 1980s. The government says the worst is yet to come. So while our economy will continue to grow above the EU average, it will grow at a slower rate, uh, and prices will continue to rise, and they're predicting very high inflation by the summer. We'll have much more from the Minister for Higher Education, Simon Harris, and we'll get analysis from our panel tonight. Get in touch on Twitter with your comments and questions on hashtag TonightVMTV. Let's begin in Ukraine. The Russian invasion has been raging in the country for nearly a month now. There are reports that the offensive has stalled, with Kyiv's mayor saying Ukrainian forces are pushing the Russian army back in some places. But still, the carnage is apocalyptic. Scenes like this are playing out right across the country. Ireland's politicians will have a chance to hear from Ukraine's leader, Vladimir Zelensky, who will address both houses of the Oireachtas on April 6th. Meanwhile, the United States says it has now determined that Russian forces have committed war crimes in Ukraine. NATO is bolstering its forces in Eastern Europe, adding troops in four countries. I expect leaders will agree to strengthen NATO's posture in all domains. With major increases to our forces in the eastern part of the alliance. The first step is the deployment of four new NATO battlegroups in Bulgaria, Hungary, Romania and Slovakia. Well, US President Joe Biden will be meeting NATO and EU leaders in Brussels over the next few days. He arrived in the Belgian capital in the last few hours. Also joining that EU meeting, the Taoiseach, Michal Martin, will travel from Washington after completing his isolation period from COVID. Well, back home, there's another headache for the Taoiseach. Inflation is set to soar in the next few months, brought on in no small part by that war in Ukraine. The ESRI says it could peak at 8.5%. That's the highest number that we've seen since 1984. Well, I'm joined tonight by Charlie Weston, personal finance editor at independent.ie. Senator Lynn Boylan from Sinn Féin. Senator Malcolm Byrne from Fianna Fáil. And I'm joined on Skype tonight by Stephen Kinsler, Professor of Economics at the University of Limerick. Uh, to go to first, Stephen, on those figures and those estimates made by the ESRI, uh, do you believe that's in fact a conservative number that they're putting out? Yes, historically, the Institute has spent most of uh, its history giving conservative forecasts um, to uh, major macro variables like inflation. 
information. But really what, what uh, people watching this tonight should be aware of is the Institute has really put to bed the idea that inflation is some kind of transitory phenomenon which will pass after a couple of months. The key number is not 8.5 percent, which is which is what everyone has been reporting, but 5 percent because the, the Institute forecasts that in 2023, we're going to still see 5% inflation, which is roughly what we have now. So you can imagine in a year and a half's time, we will still have this level of inflation. That means the logic for government intervention is is mightily strengthened. And, you know, we should expect to see a broad-based package of measures coming from government in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Charlie, that's pretty worrying to hear what we're hearing now, this idea that inflationary rises could be transient now, more likely to be persistent, uh, continuing on through this year and into next. What will that mean for people? Well, it probably means somewhere between 1,300 and 2,000 euros taken from the budget in terms of having to pay out more. I mean, the, 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 the big increases are only starting to happen now. We saw an enormous, shocking increase from Borgarsh last last week. 37% increase in gas and the unit price and the standing charge and 27% increase in electricity in the unit price and the standing charge. How, why they're increasing the standing charges to those extent is, it hasn't been properly explained. And then we have a whole raft of more increases coming next month, like, for example, mobile companies, the two big mobile companies, 3Mobile and Vodafone, are both putting through increases. Uh, there's a broadband supplier, Starlink, in, uh, increasing mm. its installation charges, and we've just seen Netflix increase prices as well. So, you know, the other energy companies are waiting, and this is on top of, obviously, petrol going through the roof, home heating oil, and, and the other electricity and gas suppliers now are rubbing their hands with glee that Borgash came out quickly and, in, and put, in, put in place such big increases. So we can see more increases coming. You know, what will ESB do? They're in an awkward position because they have such healthy profits, 679 million euros last year. But we will see there's a raft of increases coming. So, you know, the ESRI's forecast, as Stephen says, you know, it might be just on the low side, unfortunately. OK, well, Kira Doherty spoke this evening with the Minister for Further Education, Simon Harris. She began by asking him, how worried should we be about this inflation? Well, I think people are well aware of this already, because while you and I talk about inflation and the ESRI report talks about inflation, what people are seeing at home is the cost of fuel to bring the kids to, to school in the morning, to get to work in the morning, the cost of putting food on the table. And they're noticing already these prices are rising, the cost of the ESB bill, the cost of heating your home. So I don't think people are surprised to hear today that costs are going up. And I don't think they're terribly shocked to hear the costs are likely to continue to rise. The SRI report obviously looks at this in the context of the effect of the war in Ukraine and the fact that that is going to further fuel, in the short term anyway, uh, inflation. Um, and it's also going to have an impact on growth. So while our economy will continue to grow above the EU average, it will grow at a slower rate. Uh, and prices will continue to rise and they're predicting very high inflation by the summer. So I, I do want to say to people here, we're not going to stand idly by as a government. I'd contend we've already taken a number of measures and you've discussed these many times on your programme. So I mean, the budgetary measures of a billion euro um, to try and help with things like living alone allowance, the pension, trying to reduce the tax burden on working families. The measures we took um, kind of last month that are taking effect now in terms of the energy credit, the, if the extra fuel allowance payment that came in. Um, and we're going to have a what we used to call the summer economic statement where the two finance ministers will present to the Dáil next month um, their assessment of where we're at economically. And as my, my party leader, the Taunish, has said today, we will have to pursue an anti-inflation strategy as a government. We will have to be agile and flexible and responsive in relation to this, because the pressures are very significant on working families. Yeah, but what does that really mean, an anti-inflation strategy? What does that involve? Well, I think, I think it's all, it's, it means basically having to be willing to, to do more. 
um, and looking at every opportunity to do more. So the Taoiseach has already outlined, for example, looking for extra flexibility at a European level to go further in terms of reducing the burden uh, that households are facing already in relation to fuel bills. The opportunity that there will be in the budget uh, later this year to do more. The fact that already we're bringing measures in in my own department in relation to providing students with more financial assistance. So what it means is you can't, in the geopolitical situation we're living in now, kind of say, that's it, there's no more we can do to help. You have to constantly be, as a government, trying new things and putting the government under, or putting ourselves under collective pressure to see what more can we do to help people put food on the table, uh, put fuel in the car and go about their lives. So we've heard a lot about this VAT cut that's going to be coming um, from Europe uh, and that there may be further measures in the budget, but that's seven months away. Is that the answer? Well, I think what I, what I also heard, and I was standing beside the Minister for Finance, uh, was it yesterday or on Monday, out, out in uh, the Technological University Dublin, and he talked about the importance of always keeping these matters under review. So has the Taoiseach, the Tánaiste, has said that as recently as today. We have a number of measures that are only beginning to take hold literally now. There'll be people who get their electricity bill this week that will see the benefit of the energy credit. There's people who got the extra fuel allowance last week. We need to see what the European Council does, um, perhaps as soon as this week, in terms of how much more we can do in relation to as you say, be it around VAT or be it around excise. And the summer economic statement will be an opportunity next month uh, for government to assess where we're now at. So we can't, we can't be rigid, uh, we can't rule anything out here, but we've also got to be honest with people. And I think Pascal has been very honest with people. The government can't address every aspect of inflation. We are living in an economy where costs are rising, but we are eager to do all that we can. So do you think, Minister, then people are going to have to accept that there is going to be a drop in the standard of living? Well, I think people have to accept, and I, I think maybe that's even the wrong phrase, I think the reality of the situation is that the war in Ukraine that we hear in Ireland and right across the European Union and right across the globe are not immune to the impact of war. But I think people will rightly expect their governments to do everything that we can to help. And what I'm contending very strongly is we've already taken a number of measures to help, a number of measures that are taking effect in and around this week and this month. We'll have more measures at a European level in terms of trying to push for more flexibility around VAT and excise. And we'll have an opportunity next month in the economic statement to the Dáil to maybe update people on how we see the next number of months going as we approach the budget in October. There's already measures that we announced in the last budget that kick in later this year, like I say, in my own department, around increasing student grants, making sure more families qualify for financial assistance with the cost of education, for example. So that's what you've specifically done for students to deal with the rising cost of living? That's one of the things we've done for students in relation to the cost of living. So we've increased for the first time in a decade um, the eligibility criteria so more families can qualify um, with more money coming to their home, can qualify for a student grant. We've increased the actual value of the student grant we've put more money into what we call the student assistance fund so these are specific measures i'm not happy though that that's enough and but i want to return to cost value? the increase in the student grant is 200 euro you mentioned earlier this week that student accommodation may be uh, made available to Ukrainian refugees. What exactly are you talking about? Where is that accommodation? I'm talking about the fact that when the students go home for the summer, um, there can be often thousands of student beds across our country vacant. Now, sometimes colleges can let them out for short-term periods and the likes. We're working with the third-level sector, and I want to thank them for this, in offering up those spaces to my colleague, Minister O'Gorman's department, who are coordinating this effort. And we know that there was a call for uh, people to make vacant properties or a room in their house uh, available. Uh, you say you have done that. Have you Have you pledged your room to the Irish Red Cross? I have. I have. I, and I don't... I don't view it as particularly significant that we have. Um, I think lots of people across the country are seeing what they can do to help. Um, we've decided that if it's of any use to people, the spare room in our home is, is, is available, and we've made that clear to the Irish Red Cross uh, quite Rod a period of time ago. Sorry, Roderick O'Gorman uh, said to me last night, the Minister, that they're looking for people to pledge for a year. 
Yeah, and I think this is an important thing for anybody to know um, that this is not about this is not about signing up for a few days or a few weeks. This is a commitment for six months, a commitment for for a year. But I also don't think we can measure. And I want to be clear on this. I don't think we can measure people's compassion in did you pledge a room or did you not. I think people, whether they're politicians or otherwise, right across this country, are doing everything they can to help in different ways. For some people, that's financial donations. For some people, it'll be volunteering and helping out in their community. For others, they'll be donating a spare room or if they're if they're fortunate enough to have a vacant home. So, does it, do you feel uncomfortable, Minister, that you know? Politicians are being asked directly if they can make their, you know, their second house or their holiday house or a spare room in their house available to Ukrainian uh, refugee. A little, a little bit, because I'm no more or less compassionate because I have versus someone who hasn't. Do you know what I mean? This, everyone's scenario is different. Everyone's family scenario is different. And, and I do think it's largely a private matter. I think po whether you're a politician or not, people are sitting at home in the evening saying, what can we do to help? People of this country are beyond appalled and horrified at the massive humanitarian crisis that's happening on our continent and everybody wants to help. And finally, uh, Minister, as a former Minister for Health, do you see it as a major imposition to ask people to ma wear masks again? I don't see it as a major imposition. Um, I never saw the wearing of masks as a particularly major imposition. I, I must say when I went into schools and the likes, and I know school children had to wear them all day, every day, I, I think did find that quite difficult. Being truthful, I certainly heard that from students and heard that from teachers and parents on occasion. I, I think wearing masks um, you know, makes sense for a lot of people in a lot of scenarios. The, the rules are clear. There isn't a law that you must wear them. That was the public health advice we received from Neffet and the chief medical officer. But it was also clear that there's an advisory to, to wear a mask when you feel uh, when you feel it's necessary. And I was listening to David Navarro today, um, the special envoy to the WHO uh, on COVID-19. And he was saying, look, COVID cases, to paraphrase him, COVID cases are rising. Yes, they are. But it's still within our control without government restrictions or government rules. So it's up to uh, people to themselves? It is largely. But it's also, I think, up to the government to look at what we can do in relation to the next phase of the vaccination programme. And I think that will come into view very quickly. All right, we're going to leave it there. But uh, Minister Simon Harris, thank you for your time as always. Thank you so much. The Minister speaking to Kira Doherty earlier. Well, let's get more on this from our panel. Um, to come to you first, Lynn Boylan, on the matter. It, it seems there's a little bit of a change of approach from government here. You know, speaking to Pascal Donoghue in Brussels last week, he said, I want to be honest with people. What we've done, we've done now. There will be no more changes between now and the budget. And yet we've heard Minister Simon Harris tonight saying we need to be agile, we need to be flexible, we won't stand idly by. Yeah, I think it's a welcome U-turn on the part of the government, um, what we've heard from Simon Harris tonight, because absolutely when Pascal Donoghue was, gave that interview, I think the hearts of a lot of people across the country sank when they thought that this is it, there's nothing more going to come to help us, because people are really struggling. I mean, already we know that the, the price, the, the average increase on household budgets is €500, Euro. It, that's only going to get worse. Um, so I welcome the U-turn. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people at home will welcome it, but we want to see now what are they going to do? How are they going to help households? Um, because we need short-term emergency measures, we need targeted measures, and then we need a long-term approach as well about the cost of energy, because we've had issues with the cost of energy prior to uh, Ukraine. Mm. This has been something that's been bubbling away for a long time. Yeah, it appears that the government will be going back to the drawing board potentially on this, Malcolm. Well, I, I think, as, uh, as Simon has said, you know, everything has been kept under review. We have done, with regard to, for instance, some of the issues with regard to fuel costs at the pumps, 
The government has done the maximum that it can uh, on some of the issues with regard to, to, to VAT. We've been exploring it with the uh, EU Commission. My understanding, I spoke with Minister Michael McGrath this evening, my understanding is uh, that within the next two days there will be a European uh, Commission proposal. I know that Taoiseach has been in touch with Ursula von der Leyen because this is not just an issue that's impacting uh, and what's in the Ireland. What's the Taoiseach been saying to Ursula von der Leyen about this? Well, Peter? what he's been saying is that there are uh, obviously the, the immediate concerns are around the human humanitarian response to the crisis in Ukraine. But then following on from that, there are very significant uh, implications for Europe with regard to energy and food costs. The, Lynn is right in terms of there are long-term issues we need to address around energy and food security, mm. and, and we can certainly talk about those. But in the short term, we need in as far as possible to protect those who are vulnerable and, and who are uh, uh, facing difficulties. Measures were uh, enacted in the budget. Uh, there were quite a number uh, of measures that came in the budget. and so Those measures clearly did not go nearly I, I, far enough. I, I accept that, but we were talking about a, a, you know, a, a different scenario at that stage. We were certainly expecting inflation at 3 to 4%. At that stage of the budget, we didn't anticipate, although there were a lot of warnings, obviously, around Putin potentially invading Ukraine. That is contributing to inflationary pressure. We know in the US, for instance, already, inflation there has hit 8%. Okay, so so Stephen, Stephen Kinsley is correct. But by the way, Claire, the, the other thing that I think that, that does need to be presented, and and, and I think we do have to be honest with people. Government is not going to be able to kind of absorb or cushion um, all of the likely cost increases. It'll be dishonest to people to say that people are not going to find uh, you know, the cost of living is going to impact on their daily budget. Right. The important thing is, is it, that the most vulnerable in society are those who are protected. Yeah, well, let's, we, we'll, and we'll talk further about that and the measures that are in place and whether or not, as they stand, they go anywhere near far enough. But uh, Stephen Kinsler, to bring you back in here, and just uh, the caution from government always has been that they're worried about entering into an inflationary spiral. Say if you tackle something like, you know, VAT on fuel, what sort of difference could that potentially make? Will it make a difference at all or will it just help people? Well, it'll just help people in the short term. Um, so if you reduce, uh, let's say, VAT or on, on fuel or excise on fuel um, uh, by 5% because inflation has gone up by 5%, that's not going to cause an inflationary spiral. An inflationary spiral happens when people demand higher wages to cope with more uh, uh, inflation and one knocks onto the other, which knocks onto the other. So you can imagine a situation, for example, where the public sector wage bill has to rise by 10% instead of 4% because inflation is supposed to be, you know, 10 or 11% over the next couple of um, uh, months. And so in a situation like that, you would have a wage price spiral. Um, now, there's, if you think about the economy before the Ukraine crisis, you had an economy where two sectors were really badly damaged by COVID. Um, so you're not going to see a wage price spiral in like, um, you know, transport or in accommodation or retail. You, you, but you will see it in something like ICT or pharma or something like that. So you can target these measures. But fundamentally, what you have to do right now is realize that you're in a situation where for the, at least the next 18 months, prices are going to rise at um, what levels that are double and triple what the European Central Bank is legally mandated to do. What that means in practice is that we're going to have to start seeing things like 
income tax bans being adjusted for inflation, which may require a mini budget. You might start seeing things like proportional decreases in VAT and excise, you know, so if inflation goes up by 5%, it drops by 5% and so forth. And you're also going to have to see um, longer term energy credits. So these things are, you know, very, very, very expensive measures. You're talking about multiple billions to the taxpayer. Sorry, Stephen, are these things that you, you, you believe will happen and that, that governments, you know, around Europe will deal with? Because again, we did have the finance minister saying there will be no change to income tax bans. They made their changes there. It's not like the money that you're getting now that you're going to, uh, your, your salary that you're going to be uh, taxed any less on that. He was kind of ruling that out. Do you think it's something they're going to have to actively consider now? Well, I think, um, you know, that uh, I'm, I'm around long enough um, and I've studied the Irish economy for long enough to know that the only thing that's certain is nothing is certain. Um, and yesterday's certainty is, is tomorrow's uncertainty. So um, you, you, I, I think it was maybe a little rash to fool to, to, or to uh, rule uh, these things out. Um, I, I think, given the data that we have from the SRI, which, as Charlie said, is you know probably conservative, um, we, we we should be considering all measures. Remember, different households experience inflation differently. If you have a long commute and you have childcare costs and you have um, you know uh, uh, you're, you're you're caring, which is that caring for other people, which is uh, a large proportion of the population. You know, you're, you experience inflation totally differently because it impacts on you in multiple ways, food, um, energy and so forth. And so when you're in that situation, you need help both in, in a strict, you know, uh, uh, here's a here's a grant for energy sense, but also in, 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 in uh, um, a way that you can cope with uh, your, your wages effectively going down yeah. through no fault of your own. Um, on this, and like one of the responses may be around interest rate uh, rises, that's also going to affect mortgage holders. It'll be an, another blow for them. That could be a decision that's made um, at European level that will really hit homeowners. Yeah, and the expectation is that there'll be a, an interest rate rise by the European Central Bank by the, uh, at the end of the year, possibly one, maybe two. Now, that will affect people on variable rates and those people who on trackers who have been so happy with their situation up to now. Uh, um, thankfully, a lot of people are, are, lo- are locking into fixed rates and, and people are even, you know, who, who were on variables are locking into fixed rates. And, and that, that's good. And the fixed rates at the moment are pretty low. If you're, if you're on a variable, for God's sake, get one of those fixed rates at the moment because interest rates are going up and there's you can get fixed rates of 20 and 30 years uh, at rates we haven't seen in this country for 12 years. We're more expensive than other European countries Mm. for mortgages, but at the same time, uh, they are low here compared to what they were in the last 12 years. Yeah, compared to what they were, but also like on when you look on the scale around Europe, we're we're paying we're, an awful lot paying, more for, for everything, really. We I do. mean, we're down to insurance costs on every level, we're paying an awful we, lot we, more. We're, we're very, very, very high costs in this country. Yeah, food, uh, alcohol, um, yeah, electricity. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's an extremely expensive country. Now, economists will tell you we're, we're, we've high we're a high wage economy as well. That's you know, if you're on the minimum wage, you won't say that. But yeah. but it is an expensive country, and it's just going to get worse, unfortunately. And I think the real crunch will come in the winter. That's that's when the problem will be when people have to you know stop being outside. It gets gets colder, and and and, and the bills get get higher. Okay. Well, with those uh, rising energy prices, questions are being asked. Is profiteering at play? It's something that Board Gosh and other energy companies deny, but it was an accusation that was heard in the Dáil today. Take a look. We are seeing across the world war profiteering 
on an absolutely industrial scale, Shell profits up to 19 billion, highest in eight years. ESP profits up 617 to 679 million, up 10%. Energia profits up 46% to 35 million. Yeah, like on that, and Charlie mentioned it before, Malcolm, but like we're looking at, um, you know, board gosh, as well as increasing its unit price, increasing its standing charges for customers. Yeah, well, I, I think this is where the regulator needs to step in and you'll also be aware, you know, that the uh, the competition authority or the competition consumer I think they've no say in that when it comes to standing well, charges. But what, what the, the various regulators have done is when reports go into them about the increases in, in prices. They are investigating, they are addressing it. And price gouging by anybody in any sector uh, does need to be addressed. Do you think um, it's happening? I, I think there is some evidence of it happening. Uh, I think certainly when you look at the pumps, I know, I, I mean, I know my, my, my colleague Barry Cowan, for instance, even made a number of reports himself when he would have, would, would, have, would have observed it. And I think most people, when you talk to them, you know, when the government moves to reduce prices, the prices don't reduce as quickly. But certainly when there's any sign of an increase yeah. in fuel prices, goes up the pumps, because you always assume people are hedging a, 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 an amount that's there. It is part of a longer term strategy, though, about energy security in, in Europe. Uh, that remains, and, and particularly in terms of how we, we use renewable energies, that is something that we need but, to address. But again, we have the most expensive renewable energy in Europe as well, and that's a whole other issue, and I'll be raising it in the Shannon tomorrow, about the, why our renewable energy tariffs are higher than any other country. But look, there's a, there's a range of issues. One, the, as I said, the instant relief, and that is around like the likes of the discretionary fund that my colleague Claire Coran has called for, because working families aren't eligible for the fuel allowance, and any of those other payments, but also the regulator needs to be instructed by the minister to regulate the market. And when we've had the regulator in before the Climate Committee and we've asked repeatedly, will you put a cap on, on the, the default tariff, so a loyalty tariff, if you don't shop mm. around, you're automatically put onto a higher tariff. They said they didn't want to do that. We asked them, will they put a cap on the prepay tariff because they're the most vulnerable households who are trying to manage their bills. They said they couldn't do that. The, the, the reality is we need Minister Ryan to give the CRU the direction to actually intervene in the market. I mean, in Spain, they've had a windfall tax in September on energy companies. You have the EU Commissioner uh, von der Leyen saying we need to cap tariffs. Right. So, like, there's a lot more that the regulator uh, okay. could I just be want doing. To hear, I want to hear from Stephen Kinsler on that. Um, the idea first of profiteering, uh, do you think that's happening? We're hearing an awful lot about the war in Ukraine being responsible for these inflationary rises. Yeah, so it, it's certainly happening. Um, and it's something I'm writing about in the currency um, tomorrow, the, the 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 you see profiteering in operating surpluses of companies. So when their revenue is vastly greater than their expenditure, and um, for no apparent reason, um, and you'll see this in the quarterly accounts of major companies in the next couple of months. Uh, the difference between uh, then and now is we are in a wartime economy, and in a wartime economy, you can't allow the market to set prices for major uh, elements like uh, energy and uh, and other uh, staples because people can't shop around for these things you know um, and in that situation the regulator should be empowered to cap these things or if they're not going to cap them we should see a very large tariff or tax applied for the very simple reason that it's through no fault or action of their own that these companies are able to reap these supernormal profits it's simply they're taking a, taking advantage of um, a precarious situation and you know you can see a situation where 
where the government is going to go into deep deficit for for um, uh, to, to help households and firms out who that are struggling with energy costs. And if energy companies are making a fortune at the same time, it's logical that we either tax them um, uh, to the uh, am- amount that they're um, increasing or and in a wartime fashion, or we simply cap them at, at the prices again for 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 uh, you know eighteen months or something like that, and then come back. You know we have done it several times in the past uh, as an economy. You know fifty years ago, sixty years ago, eighty years ago, we did this. Um, we're in exactly the same situation now. We should apply the same measures. I, I would actually argue, though, and, and to follow on from Stephen's point, if you look at how and, and this is where is it, you know if you want to measure government's intention, if you look at how government and about how government responded during the COVID crisis, when a lot of individuals and a lot of companies faced serious difficulty, and government stepped in and provided the support. And, and one of the points that, that you know, we've been making is that we will be doing that as government. Uh, okay, so there will be more action. The, the, so we are going action, to see more intervention we than we've seen to date. But, 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 but in, a, in a war economy situation, so we haven't even looked at you know, basic foodstuffs like, for instance, bread, the fact that we okay. import most of the flour in here. Those are some okay. of the issues that we need to address in terms of food security as well. Okay, well, my thanks to Stephen Kinsler, Malcolm, Lynn and Charlie will be staying with me. And after the break, we'll have more on the inflation crisis. Stay with us. Welcome back. Well, warnings about the cost of living are nothing new. They've been hearing them uh, for a number of months now, but we asked people in Cork just how much they're now feeling the squeeze. Um, rent's definitely going up and um, any kind of benefits or subsidies are definitely not going up to match it. Coal is very bad, DSB and all those. Gas, gas is very bad, yeah. I send my husband to the supermarket. He just gets what's on the list. I go, I'm up and down every aisle. So that's saving us a bit of money. So you have to look at the positives. Nothing has gone down, everything has gone up really. Um, I only got my electric bill yesterday and uh, there was 100 euro of a difference in it. Everybody's feeling it, you know, so it's um, petrol, diesel, everything, you know, is all going up. So everything else goes up as well. So everybody's feeling the same thing. We all, we all have the same story. I'm sure you're hearing the same story from everybody. Everyone has the same story, but some, I guess, are feeling it more than others. Charlie Weston, Lynn Boylan and Malcolm Byrne are still with me. I'm joined by Tricia Keelthy, Head of Social Policy and Justice at St. Vincent de Paul. And Tricia, when you hear those voxes, you really uh, you get the sense from people that, you know, they know all about it. But you're seeing, I imagine, in St. Vincent de Paul, a, a huge number of people now contacting you saying that this is I'm, I'm, I'm hugely struggling and I need a lot more help and support than I'm already getting. That's right, Claire. We've taken almost 26,000 calls for help so far this year. And that's just in the first two months alone of 2022. People are really struggling. They're really worried about what's ahead in terms of the intensity of the cost of living increasing um, and how that's going to impact their households even more. People, for people in poverty, for people on low incomes, difficult choices are part of your everyday life. But now with the squeeze being put even tighter on family budgets, those choices become even more difficult. People have to make more sacrifices and people have to cut back more. Tell us, Tricia, about the hard choices that people are being forced to make right now. 
So, for example, you know, we're seeing really now people are noticing it in their food budgets. So, um, you know, they would have been able to get their weekly shop maybe for 60, 80 euro. Now it could cost them up to 100 euro. So that means they're really just taking stuff out of the shopping basket before they get to the till. Um, it means for parents skipping meals so their kids can eat. Um, for people living in rural areas, the impact really is around greater isolation because you have to pick which car journeys you're going to make. Um, and that may mean prioritising getting the kids to school, um, getting to work, getting to appointments. And that means cutting yourself off from friends and families. So essentially, people are fuel rationing now. They're having to do that in a very real way, deciding whether they go to one place or another or, or simply stay at home. That's right. And then on the energy front, you know, that's been happening throughout the winter. And, and this is not a new phenomenon for SVP. You know, energy poverty is a very real issue, an issue that has been around for a long time. But now we're seeing people who maybe never had to make these choices now being faced with those. And I think what was significant about the ESRI report that was published today, it really showed how it affects people in different ways. The rate of inflation is 24% higher for people in the lowest income groups compared to the higher income groups. So that really just shows to you how tight people's budgets are and the difficult choices people have to make. Yeah, I guess, Malcolm, you know, when we hear from what Tricia is saying about how it is, a, it's, it's a divided society, really. For some people, the cost of living and, and the rises there just won't impact on them. They're still planning on, on taking their holiday this year. They're still filling up even though it's costing more at the pumps, they can, they can handle that. A lot of people simply can't. The question is, are the government measures to date enough at all to help those who are really struggling with what we're seeing now in terms of the cost of living rises? Well, well, well you're correct. I mean, increasing the cost of living do impact. It impacts on everybody, but it does impact, uh, as Tricia would say, on people in different ways. And in terms of a lot of the government measures, they have been very specifically targeted uh, at those who are more vulnerable. So when we look at uh, some of the supports in terms of uh, for uh, the qualified child dependent allowance, changes to the working uh, family allowance, uh, the increase in the fuel allowance, the allowances that have been made with regard to electricity costs, in every effort that the government has been making, it's been trying to target to provide the supports uh, to those. Not enough, who are, though, is it? I, I, I accept there's always going to be more that's that, that, that's going to have to be done. It's something that government is looking at. I mean, as, as uh, you, you would have heard from Simon Harris earlier, in terms of you know significant reforms with regard to the Susie Grant scheme, okay. in terms of providing more opportunities. Yeah. In, in terms of providing more opportunities for people to education. expand the eligibility of the fuel allowance because those families who are getting the working working pay, family payment they're not eligible. Um, do you know what I mean? There's uh, like it's, the, the fuel allowance is very very restrictive as to who's actually qualified for it. People on an occupational pension won't qualify it, so that eligibility needs to be increased. But that's also why again I go back to that discretionary allowance, which I know the St Vincent de Paul have called for as well, which allows those people who just fall between the stools because there's so many working families who are not eligible for anything and that discretionary fund would allow them to access the support that they need and um, so it isn't being targeted enough and even the, the social welfare payments are below the minimum standard of living hang on, Lynn, so you hang would on, have Lynn, had to Lynn. increase the, the, the pension Sorry. before let, the, before let the ESRI report the pension would have had to go up by 10 euros just to, to bring it up to that minimum standard of living and to bring it towards that so like even the, the budgetary measures that were introduced um, in the last budget didn't go Go far enough and now we're seeing inflation going even further so people are for, falling further and further behind. Like it is a it is a point and Trisha will probably tell us more about this but you know the fuel allowance payment and I guess you know who who can benefit from that that we're seeing uh -huh. even in terms of the uh, exceptional needs payment 
if you work a certain number of hours a week, you're not entitled to it. Yeah, I, I accept that. But I mean, it, I find it odd that Lynn, because Sinn Féin will always trot out the alternative budget, which made no reference uh, to an increase in the fuel allowance. And yet it was very clear that the government did increase the fuel allowance uh, by, by five euro. I mean, Sinn Féin is now talking, uh, you know, about looking at reducing VAT and reducing. But yet in the Sinn Féin alternative budget, none of those uh, provisions were being made. And look, it's always going to be a case that government can, can do more. The measures that, that have been, you know, uh, that are, have been introduced, they are being targeted in as far as possible to try to protect I want to ask Trisha, can I ask Trisha that? Are the measures that are currently in place, this suite of measures um, that we've heard about, are they being targeted at the right people and the people who need them most, are they getting them, Trisha? So I suppose from our point of view, we thought that the cost of living package that was announced in February was a missed opportunity to target the resources better. We had called in advance of that, expanding the eligibility to the fuel allowance, utilising the exceptional needs payment scheme to expand eligibility for that by removing the wait period uh, for job seekers allowance for the fuel allowance as well. We understand and we know without a doubt the the lump sum payment of the fuel allowance will make a massive difference to people who receive it um, and also the energy credit will make a difference to people who receive it. But we need to really focus on Mm. and be proactive to ensure that the resources that are available are targeted to those who need need it most. And what we've seen so far, we don't think it has been enough. Um, And the next couple of months will be really decisive because at the moment, you know, there's a bit of relief in that the weather is getting warmer and people maybe don't have to turn on the heating as much. Next winter could be potentially catastrophic for Mm. families on low incomes. So we need the government to be thinking about how best they can get the resources into um, families' pockets so that they can cope with that. And, you know, what you were saying before about energy providers and all these other utility costs going up now, now that now that we're seeing it happening, we're really going to see it potentially peak out come, come the winter. We are, unfortunately, you know, because we're going to see the others rolling in uh, behind board gosh. Remember, we had 35 different price an- announcements for energy companies last year. We already had an energy crisis before the, the invasion of Ukraine. And this is just, you know, send it off in, in way off in, in, in a much different, more severe direction. Yeah. We, we, we could do it more intrusive regulation in this country, you know, questioning uh, some of what's going on and, 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 and assertiveness as well. There was a huge backlash against the petrol retailers when they um, were putting up prices on a daily basis. They were switching off display boards with prices. Uh, you know, even though a lot of these petrol stations would take a delivery every two, two weeks, they were putting up prices on a daily basis. So you're uh, saying that this was led by public outcry, public outcry that then we there heard from the Taoiseach and from others. Yeah, from Taoiseach and the others. It was called for boycotts for some of the retail uh, uh, um, chains. And I think that worked a bit because prices then started coming back a bit, um, you know, and, and, and they started passing through a, a bit faster, the excise duty cuts. We need far more of that. We tend to be a little bit too passive here. We need this. Light touch regulation, Lynn. Absolutely light touch regulation. And I know there was a backlash when Sean Fleming talked about shop around, but actually that's government policy because I've been raising energy poverty now for two years and that's been the standard response from no matter who you raise it with, you need to shop around. Yet we've identified that 
there are clear reasons why people can't shop around. They might have a poor credit rating. They might not have the capacity to do it. Um, so shop around is, is literally just leaving it to the market and it's not doing the job of the regulator. And the regulator needs to regulate the market and not tell people to well, shop around. Well, they need to intervene I, directly. I think if you, if, you, if you look and if you want to specifically mention Sean Fleming in terms of what Sean Fleming has done in the whole question of regulating of the insurance sector, the one area where we have seen uh, cuts is in the, you know, I, I is, 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 is Sean, is Sean, I mean, well, uh, well, the reality is Sean They're still really minister, high. They are, Incredibly but they high. are considerably lower. And I think most people will have experienced in the cost of their home insurance and car insurance. So Charlie is right in terms of that we do uh, need tougher regulators. in there. screaming to I, regulate I the insurance no, 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 industry. That, and now we're sorry, seeing the sorry, same Sean issue Fleming, with, since he became with minister, energy. Since Sean Fleming became, and became minister. I mean, people were listening to the energy regulator in Morning Ireland only there the other day going, you know, we can't do that. We can't regulate. We can't cap the tariffs. We can't. Do you mean, are, so we need sorry, to actually are, have a regulator with teeth. No, 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 no. I, I agree with you in terms of that the regulators do need to act. In some cases, they don't have the sufficient teeth. In some cases, uh, which is, is where we come to issues around, for instance, uh, the uh, mm. the EU VAT right. uh, directives. There has to be agreement at, at, at EU level. But you, um, okay, but you I just briefly want to get the last word to this. You can't, you can't operate a Sinn Féin three-card trick of pretending to be everything to, to, to everybody. It's not there a three-card trick, Malcolm. We're putting, we're putting constructive options on the table. You did nothing for household heating, nothing at all. In fact, Sorry, you the, argued the, there wasn't excise the duty. Fuel, there was nothing the fuel in the allowance which Sinn Féin opposed All right, listen, I'll tell you what, I want to give the last word, if you don't mind, I want to give the last word to, to Tricia on this, just um, the hardship funds that we were hearing about more targeted help, and I know that's something that um, you were looking for. Is that going to happen? Is there going to be a specific hard, hardship fund? Is that something that you're calling for now? It is something, and it's something that we've called for um, since last year, and uh, we've written to the Minister for, for Social Protection, but um, I, I think the, the plan is that it would be provided through the Exceptional Needs Scheme, so we'd really like to see that 30 um, our rule for people who are working removed. That would make a real difference and that's something that could be done right now. All right, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Charlie Weston, Lynn Boylan, Malcolm Byrne and Tricia Kilthy. Lots more after the break. We'll take a look at the Criminal Assets Bureau and how it's working in 2022. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
Welcome back. The Criminal Assets Bureau was born in 1996 in a wave of revulsion over the murder of Veronica Guerin. More than a quarter of a century later, it's still a functioning agency of the state. Well, Virgin Media has made a documentary on the history of CAB and how it works in 2022. And Nicola Talent is the executive producer of the programme and is investigations editor at the Sunday World. Nicola, you're very welcome along to the programme. This documentary that went to air just before our, our show, really looking at the history of CAB and it has quite a unique place in that, I mean, it, it arose from the horrific murder of Veronica Guerin and the sort of political call to action. And that's where it came from. Unique in that there's nothing like it elsewhere. Certainly. And I mean, I think the thing about it is everyone's aware of its existence, but a lot of people don't really know exactly how it works and, and exactly what it is. And, um, you know, it's interesting to look at the legislation that came in to create that proceeds of crime legislation, which enables the, the Criminal Assets Bureau to work as successfully as it does. And it is very, very successful. And it is one of the strongest arms of the state, really, in the fight against crime, organised crime and even more localised crime. So what's the secret to its success? Well, the setup of it is is sort of different to because it's it's civil proceedings that are taken against the individuals. A criminal is targeted, or a suspected criminal is targeted. Their assets are identified, and a case is then brought before the courts. And it's at that point, usually in a criminal case that it, you know somebody is totally innocent until proven guilty but it's actually the onus of the individual then to prove how they made their money legitimately and how they afforded to purchase these items so it sort of turns everything on its head but yeah. in a very successful way. Uh, the, the documentary gives examples of, of what are they have, or of what CAB have seized over the years some pretty unusual ones in there that really stick out. Yeah, I mean, look, we tonight there we saw inside some of these houses that are being renovated to like, you know, unbelievable amounts of money being put into them. There's one house there tonight that the value of it was would have been 250,000 and there was about 750,000 euro worth of renovations uh, done to it, which doesn't make any financial sense to a normal person. But if you're trying to get rid of some dirty money, it's probably the way to do it. You're hiding it behind the hall door. Um, there's lots of, of unusual cases, in particular, the last one we saw there, Clifton Collins, who collected Bitcoin. Um, and um, <clears throat> don't even ask me how that's done, but it, you have to kind of use a huge amount of electricity to kind of harvest these Bitcoin. And he, he was very successful at it, but he was also operating grow houses, was caught. And uh, his own usage, as he, he told the cab himself, of, of cannabis had led him very paranoid and he'd locked all his Bitcoin away um, and hidden the code to get at it in a, a fishing rod, which when he went to jail, the farmer of the house he was renting put in a skip and off it's gone probably to China and we're here the state is in possession of this wallet which is locked with about 100 million euro worth of Bitcoin in it so we're kind of waiting for technology to catch up so as it can be unlocked at some stage. And for the assets there to be seized I mean in terms of what a cab has forced criminals to do they fled the country in their droves so from that perspective has it made it more as it you know prompted another problem there? I think they did in the beginning, you know, when it, when it was launched. And there's probably other reasons for that as well. Some of the, the bigger criminals left around that time. Um, you also had, I suppose, that murder of Veronica Guerin, which really sort of focused um, political will on the fight against organised crime at the time. 
But, um, you know, CAB has remained and, and to this day it's still doing the same thing. It's still really going after the money and it's still really focused largely on, on drug dealers and, and their, their money. Look, they're, they're, some of them are still buying houses. Some of them are renovating these houses. Some of them are buying fancy cars, watches, um, you know, even stuff like nowadays they'll buy five grand handbags and you know go on these shopping sprees and their houses are stuffed to the gills with items that most of the population might have one or two from a, a fake stall in Turkey from their holidays or something but these are the real things and there's like thousands and thousands of of um, you know items locked away in wardrobes. The question is is it enough of a deterrent for the criminals of this day and age of 2022 is it still getting them where it hurts? Yeah, it is actually. And I mean, I, you know, have spoken to quite a few people that were, you know, have been subject of interest by the cab. And it's like they really don't like losing their money or their anything that they have. They feel they have earned it really, you know, through hard work. And it really, they get really, really annoyed about it. They're not pleased to lose anything, even if they may have a much, you know, a vast fortune hidden away somewhere. They, they really don't like it. Um, the documentary there we have interviewed, there's been seven bureau chiefs in the Criminal Assets Bureau and we've interviewed four of them on the documentary. I think, um, you know, we did try to sort of, you know, see if we could work with the, the, the kind of the officers on the ground who are really doing the hard work and that wasn't viable. But really, like a lot of the success, all of the success really is put down to those guards and the detectives and the inspectors past and present who are working on those cases day in, day out. And I take it, you know, it's, it's a hard fought. I mean, you're, you're there. It, it requires hours, days, weeks of investigation that goes into this before it can go to those civil proceedings in order to seize the goods. Most certainly. I mean, we see the, the raids or the, you know, the big raids and that can sometimes be just the beginning of a case. They'll go in, they've, you know, identified a target, identified what they want. They'll go in and seize all the documents, but it can be months and even sometimes years before it gets to court. Okay, thank you for that, Nicola. And uh, you can see the first episode on the Virgin Media Player. The second part of the Criminal Assets Bureau is on Virgin Media One at nine o'clock next Wednesday. But that's it from us, from all the late team here. Good night. Take care. is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.